money, deals, tribal knowledge, resources, training, coaching, partnering. We are Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. My name is Shanoa Grove. Welcome to the show. So welcome, everybody. We're also broadcasting tonight. So if you wonder what all this equipment here is in the middle, uh, we're broadcasting and we are live. So welcome to the Texas RIAs. The, the Texas RIAs is the largest by far network of real estate investor associations uh, in the great state of Texas. Over 100,000 members and participants all across the state of Texas. And uh, this is where you get market updates and get connected with other investors and get training and resources. And it's how lots and lots of Texans get started investing or get their investing to the next level. One of the things that the Texas Reads does is it provides education and information uh, to its members. We do frequent market updates. And today, tonight, I'm going to do a market update for you. Now, normally, this presentation is actually given by my wife. Uh, her name is Shanoa Grove. She's a well-known uh, real estate investor here in Texas. Uh, she's taking care of our kiddo tonight, so I am your substitute teacher. So hopefully I'll uh, get through this uh, well enough. But I have been investing in real estate here in Texas for 20 years. This is actually my 20th anniversary. Uh, coming up on my 20th anniversary, I did my first deal on December 15, 2003. I've been involved in about 1,200 since then, so I've been in a lot of deals, uh, bought a lot of rental properties along the way, uh, and I've learned a few things. I'm what's called a full-cycle investor. I've invested in up markets and down markets and high interest rates and low interest rates and mortgage booms and mortgage busts and uh, hurricanes and pandemics, right? And and I, I've got a lot of perspective uh, from all of that, and I'm here to, to share that. So let's do a market update. And, you know, what's the big story uh, with the market? What, what is the big story of real estate right now? Interest rates, interest rates. So what do you think? Are, are interest rates high? Who thinks interest rates are high right now? Raise your hand if you think interest rates are high right now. Uh, who, who thinks interest rates are low right now? Who thinks interest rates are low right now? You know, isn't it interesting? Well, who's right? I would say you're both right. Interest rates are normal right now. If you're new to this, you know, if you've been just looking at this real estate thing for the last three or four years, you'd be like, wow, interest rates are high. No, I would argue interest rates are normal. You know, when I started investing 20 years ago, most of my rental properties are six and a half, seven and a half percent mortgages. That was just normal. For years and years and years, that was normal. Right now, for a little period of time there, we had freakishly abnormal interest rates, three, four, five percent mortgage. That's not normal. That's freakish. Right? The history of the world, that's like, you'll, you probably will never see that again uh, in your lifetime. So that was freakishly abnormal by my perspective, right? Now, when I bought my very first house, before I was even a real estate investor, back in 1981, do you know interest rates got to in 1981? Anybody remember? Mortgages in 1981 got all the way up to 18%. Oh, you think 7.5% is high interest. What about 18%? Holy tamole, right? Now, that was a fairly short amount of time, but they were in the teens for a long, long time. But the point is, interest rates go up and down. Uh, but a normal interest rate is 6.5%, 7.5%, and that's where we are now. So good news, you're in the right place, right time, and interest rates are normal again. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's where we are. But, you know, your perspective could be a little different, right? Kind of depending on 
kind of what you've been comparing where we are to today. So when interest rates go up, what happens to home prices? Does anybody know? Inter what, do interest rates go up? Does, what, do home prices go down? Who thinks home prices go down? Okay, who thinks home prices go up? Okay, who thinks they don't do anything? <laughs> I would say it's closer to number three. So interest rates have both upward and downward pressure uh, on real estate. Okay, the first thing you got to understand about real estate, real estate cares pretty much about one thing, supply and demand. It doesn't really care about interest rate. It doesn't really care about the economy. It cares about supply and demand. Like 2008, what happened in 2008? 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, right? Money was free and easy. If you wanted to get a loan, subprime lending, right? If you wanted to get a loan in 2005, you walked into a bank, you said, I want a loan. And a banker, they'd walk up, they'd hold a mirror under your nose, and if they saw fog, you got a loan. That was the loan application process in 2005. And by 2008, all the banks went bankrupt. Surprise, surprise, right? It was a really dumb idea, <laughs> giving people that don't have jobs and credit income money. That was really, really dumb. Uh, but what happened? Okay, so money was free and easy, right? The builders were building more houses in 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, uh, if you look at the number of new housing starts off the charts, more than today. I mean, it's off the charts. It was incredible uh, how many houses we were building. And it worked for a while there because anybody could get a loan. So the builders were building like crazy, and the banks were giving out money like candy. And so all the buyers, you know, that even weren't qualified to buy, uh, were buying houses. And it was just crazy. It was, a, it was a crazy, crazy time. And then in 2008, the banks went bankrupt. You know, the government actually changed the definition of bankruptcy in 2008. Did you know that? That whole mark-to-market thing, that was redefining essentially bank. But by any definition that's reasonable, the banks went bankrupt. And lending just stopped. It hit a wall. It, it virtually stopped. So all of a sudden, you couldn't get a loan. You couldn't get a loan. Uh, and I'm exaggerating, but just a little bit. There you were some lending, but it, it just, it went like that, fell off a cliff. So all of a sudden, the demand just stopped. And we had this huge mountain of supply and no more demand. Okay, and then what happened to prices? Crash, right? And we bounced along the bottom for actually several years, kind of sucking up and soaking up that inventory until we kind of finally got back on a, uh, on a normal trajectory. Uh, and that was 2008. Now, what happened... In, in 2021, 22, 23, we're going to look at that in a minute. But, you know, lending is still not easy. Um, so the builders are building more. That's true. Uh, but really not as much as we need. And that's interesting. Uh, on a national basis, the United States is in a housing shortage. Did you know that? We have six million houses fewer than we need for the amount of demand, right? Because people keep having babies. Uh, and, and keep moving to the U.S., right? And, and so we have growing demand, but we're not keeping up with the supply. And, and when you have a housing shortage, that pushes prices up, right? So we have something pushing prices up. Uh, and inflation actually pushes prices up. Everything's more expensive. Building is more expensive. Appliances more expensive. New construction is more expensive. You know, most people talk about inflation like it's a bad word. I actually like inflation because uh, my money is in real estate, I just have a different word for it. I call it appreciation, okay? Because it's the same thing if you think about it, if you, if you own real estate. So that's pushing prices up. But then interest rates go up, and that makes houses less affordable, so there's fewer buyers that can buy. So we have 
right, that downward pressure on prices. So we have certain things pushing prices up, and we have other things pushing prices down. And when you put it all in a blender, what's happened? Uh, not much of anything. Uh, it's basically, so Texas, and I'll go through the different cities uh, in a minute here. Um, Texas, the average house price, uh, you know, uh, year over year is actually up slightly, 2%, not much. Uh, but the uh, year-to-date price is down uh, 1%. Um, so it's flat. It's, it's not up a lot. It's not down a lot. It's basically flat. Now, the, the, the sales volume, the number of houses selling is, is actually lower. So there's fewer buyers, fewer sellers, and you put it all in a blender and it, it's flat. Uh, so where's it going to go? I don't know. Uh, well, I got some ideas. Um, it turns out real estate is not as hard to forecast, I would say, as, as a lot of things. Like the stock market, I have no idea. I have no idea. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow in the stock market, right? The economy, I don't really know. Uh, real estate, on the other hand, is not that hard. And the reason real estate is not that hard to predict is because we actually know how many people are having babies, and we actually know how many people are moving to Texas. So we actually know how many houses we need. And we also know how many houses we're building, right? So it's all pretty predictable. We know we're going to need this many, and we're going to have this many. Right. And then there's a little variability in there. Interest rates, interest rates go up a little more. Right. The demand goes down a little. If their interest rates go up or down, uh, inter the, the, the demand goes up a little bit. So there's a little variability. But if you put all that in a blender, uh, you know, what do most of the experts think is going to happen? Not much. Right. We kind of probably just going to stay more or less uh, on the trajectory that we're on. And by the way, I'm not here to sell you anything, right? So I don't have a vested dog in the hunt, right? I don't, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I can make money in up markets and down markets, and, and sometimes it's easy to buy and hard to sell. Sometimes it's easy to sell and hard to buy. It's never easy to buy and easy to sell, right? So I'm not here to try to convince you of a particular story. And a lot of people do, like the, 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 in my, in my opinion, the National Board of Realtors, they're always bullish, no matter what's going on in the market. But tomorrow is going to be better. They're always telling you everything's going to go like that, right? And, and because they're, you know, trying to sell this narrative that you should buy a home and hire a realtor to, 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 to buy the home for you. I, on the other hand, I'm a real estate investor. And, uh, I like up markets. I like down markets. I actually prefer down markets slightly to up markets because it, it speeds up the velocity. Uh, of deal speeds. It gets hard. It gets easier to buy. It's been really hard to buy for the last few years. It's getting easier, right? And, and that means I can do more deals and, and make more money. But you have to be a little smarter about it, right? Because the market's not going to save you because you can't depend on the market going up. Uh, but what is it going to do? We expect it to kind of stay on the trajectory that it's at. And, and that is not do a whole lot of, uh, up or down. Now, here's, here's the thing. Interest rates, who knows, right? The experts, a lot of the experts think they're maybe going to, creep up a little higher. Maybe the interest rates will go a little higher, or maybe they're high enough. Maybe they're going to stay. But then a lot of people think at some point, maybe over the next year, they're going to start to come down again. If interest rates come down, I can almost guarantee it's going to create a spike in prices. That's going to drive prices up because we have a housing shortage and there's a lot of pent-up demand. Do you have a question in the back? Seller, fin I love seller financing. We're going to talk about seller financing. And, you know, uh, a lot of you kind of are sorry uh, that you missed out on those 3 or 4 or 5% mortgages. It's not too late. Uh, you can still get a 3% mortgage. In fact, you can get a better 3% mortgage than the one that was available a couple of years ago. 
And the way you get an even better 3% mortgage is you take over somebody else's 3% mortgage with seller financing. And when people are motivated, they will let you do that. So yeah, the only thing better than a 3% mortgage is, is someone else's 3% mortgage that doesn't require your credit to get it. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Um, but yeah, now there's another thing that's been kind of interesting uh, about kind of the, the number of houses I said is that, that are selling is down. So the volume is down even though prices are pretty much flat. And something interesting has happened. You know, when, when, when you look at the houses for sale, it's a mix of new houses and existing houses, right? Resale houses and new houses. And usually, most of the houses being sold are existing houses, resale houses, and, and then a smaller percentage is new houses. Uh, but, but that has switched. That's actually flipped back and forth. And here's the other thing that's interesting, and this is curtailing the supply. Everybody that got one of those three, four, five percent mortgages over the last several years, they don't want to sell, right? Because they're thinking, if I sell my house and I'm going to have to get a new mortgage and it's going to be like a seven percent mortgage or whatever, right? Uh, so all the people that that have houses that could be selling their houses, they're just not putting them on the market because they don't want to pay the higher interest rate for the for the new loan, and so that's limiting the supply. Right. And because that's limiting the supply, what does that do? Right. That, that's upward. That's more upward pressure, uh, on prices because there's less supply to, to satisfy the demand. But again, people keep having babies and keep moving to Texas. Now the builders are filling the void, right? Re, the re, uh, new, new construction is, is selling like hotcakes. Uh, and that's hot. Um, but you know, more, 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 more news, right? The, the, the interest rates have gone up and the construction loans and lending in general is getting harder, uh, which means the builders are slowing down. And at some point, the builders are going to start running out of money and that's going to be, there's going to be less building and that's going to create more shortage of houses, which will be more upward pricing, uh, you know, pressure. So, you know, put all that in a blender, uh, and that's kind of where we're at. This is kind of an interesting chart. This is interest rates versus home prices going all the way back to 1975. Uh, from 1975 to 1981, interest rates on mortgages got all the way up to, there it is, 18%. Isn't that crazy? And when interest rates went up, guess what? Home prices went up. And when interest rates came down, guess what? Home prices went up. And when interest rates went up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, home prices still went up. Now, there have been some bubbles in the way, right? And short-term up and downs. Uh, but, you know, long term, there's pretty much no correlation. So let's dive into uh, some of the different markets. So Texas, we talked about that a little bit. The average uh, sales price of a house in the great state of Texas is, what is that, $423,000. Median uh, is, uh, what is that, three hundred and uh, having trouble reading here, $40,000. Average price is up 2%, median price is down 1%. So pretty much uh, the market's flat. Now, the statistic that I like more than any other thing, the, the most, in my opinion, the most important number to look at, if you want to look at the barometer for the real estate market, is, is the inventory, months of inventory. What is months of inventory? A couple ways to think about that. One way to think about that is if we just stopped building, stop, if, if, if we put no more houses for sale, we just sell what we got and, and nothing else gets added to the market, how long before we run out? And the answer is three and a half months. We got three and a half months of, of inventory. Uh, and by the way, that is also the average amount of time that it takes to sell a house, three and a half months. Now, interesting, what does that mean? Let's put it in perspective. They say if there's less than six months of inventory, 
uh, you have a seller's market. If there's more than six months of inventory, you have a buyer's market. We still have, by any historical standard, a pretty strong seller's market. So how about that? Now it's not as strong as it was a year ago. A year ago, we had a freakishly strong seller's market, 2.6 months of inventory, but 3.5 months of inventory, that's not a lot of inventory. That's what we consider to be a pretty hot market. Uh, pending sales uh, are uh, down a little bit, uh, active listings uh, uh, up a little bit, and that's driven the inventory uh, to, uh, to, to increase uh, a little bit. The number of uh, closed sales uh, is down. Okay, so there's fewer buyers, fewer sellers. The market is, has contracted. Now let's look at the last three years. Okay, 2021, best year, uh, 18, went up 18%. Prices went up 18%, almost 20%. 2022, Another great year went up another 10%. Uh, and 2023, uh, you know, year to date, uh, basically it's flat or down 1%. So we had a great run and it's now uh, leveled off. Okay, uh, Dallas, let's look into some of the individual markets. Dallas is the second most expensive city uh, in Texas. Average uh, home price in Dallas, 514000 up 3%, interestingly enough, median is uh, what is that 400 and uh, I think that's 6,000 uh, down 1%. Now here's an interesting thing. Dallas inventory 2.7 months. And I don't know why, I've never figured this out, but I've been following this for 20 years. For some reason, for 20 years, Dallas has always been the bellwether of Texas. I don't know why, I really do not know why, but if you kinda wanna get an idea of what the rest of the state's gonna look like a few months down the road, Take a look at Texas. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, take a look at Dallas. I don't know why, but it's always been the bellwether. Dallas is always the first to go down, the, the, the first to go up. It's it's always ahead of all the other markets for some reason. And, and again, I, I don't know why. But what's really interesting is inventory is falling uh, in Dallas. Uh, market number of sales is down, but not much, just 8%. Uh, you know, pending sales is down a little bit. Uh, total active is actually up. Uh, so that's really interesting as well. So what happened in prices in Dallas? Uh, 2021 uh, up 20%. Uh, 2022, another great year, uh, up another 15%. Uh, and 2023, year to date, uh, basically flat. Uh, so that is the bellwether uh, Dallas. Houston, here we are in Houston. Uh, Houston average price is 420, uh, up a little bit, up, uh, what is that, 2.5%. Uh, median price, just like the rest of the state, down a little bit, 0.3%. So almost not even a whole percent, but 0.3%, uh, basically flat. Uh, inventory, 3.3, about the same as the state. Uh, pending sales are actually up, which is kind of interesting. Uh, active listings are actually quite a bit up, which is also uh, interesting. Uh, total sales is down, but only 4%, so not much there. Uh, and by any historical standards, still a pretty strong uh, seller's, uh, seller's market. Um, Austin, uh, this is not a typographical error. The average sales price of a house in Austin is, what is that, $583,000. Yeah, we did a little research on this, and it turns out that Austin is actually Latin for San Francisco. Yeah, Austin is the San Francisco, Texas. Uh, you know, 
Elon Musk moved in and Amazon and, and Samsung and, you know, half the Fortune 500s and they, they set up their high tech, uh, businesses and lots of high tech, uh, people. Uh, there's a mass exodus from California to Austin. You know, it's just a mass exodus. You know, you go to a meeting in Austin and it's like everybody's from California. It's crazy. Uh, and they, they brought their, their, their real estate market with them. So, um, now I will say Austin, has has the one market uh, that looks a little different than, than all the other markets in terms of what's happened uh, with uh, with pricing, uh, and here's why: um, in 2021, Austin real estate went up almost 30 percent in one year. And if you look back in 2021, and I was investing in Austin in 2021, uh, there were months where there was 0.4 months of inventory, less than two weeks. There was literally less than two weeks of inventory. We've never seen anything like that. And somebody would put a house on the market in Austin and they'd get nine offers in a weekend. And the buyers got ticked off because somebody would move to Austin. They'd make an offer, they'd get outbid. They'd make an offer on another house, they'd get outbid. They'd make an offer on another house, they'd get outbid. And then they started screaming at the realtor, what do you got to do to buy a house around here? Just bid 10% more than it's even worth, right? And, and it was just this crazy frenzy of people buying houses even above the appraised value, right? And that's why you saw that 30% bump up uh, in 2021. It was absolutely insane. 2022, another great year, another 10%. Uh, but 2023, things have gone down, and they're actually about 10% down. So over the last three years, Austin looks just like the other cities, right? Up, up, uh, uh, up about 30%. But with Austin, it went up 40 and came down 10 versus the other markets. It just kind of went up 30 and, and, and leveled off. So that's, that's kind of the difference. Uh, pretty strong market, 3.8 months of inventory. Uh, closed sales is actually up a little bit. So that's interesting. Uh, actives is, uh, pretty flat, uh, but actually up a little bit. Uh, pending is, uh, down. I'm sorry. No, it's actually up a little bit too. Um, so that is Austin. Um, San Antonio. San Antonio is the most affordable city in Texas. And, uh, average price was at 388. Uh, and it's flat. And, uh, median price 322 and it's down, whoop-de-doo, 1%. 3.9 months of inventory, uh, you know, still pretty strong market. Uh, and, and they did not get as much run up, uh, as the other cities. Uh, San Antonio is the most affordable city. It's also, I don't know, maybe, maybe kind of the most blue collar uh, city. Uh, it doesn't have as much kind of high tech and, you know, some of the high paying, uh, you know, careers that you see in the other major uh, metroplexes. So that's a little bit about what's going on in the marketplace. Any questions on that? Any questions on that? Be happy to entertain any questions. I'll take my best shot. Go ahead. Do I, do I feel like what's going to be more comparable to, to each other? Not a chance. Um, yeah, and, and I, I invest in both. Um, yeah, I mean, not, not even, n San Antonio is to Austin what Fort Worth is to Dallas. It's, it's kind of its poor baby brother. It's totally different demographic. Uh, the prices of the houses are, you know, uh, 40% less. Uh, it's different people, different jobs, different careers, different economy, different, different everything. Um, so yeah, I, I don't ever see uh, those two uh, markets looking looking similar to each other, right? Um, so yeah. Any other questions? I you know I I'm I'm a little hesitant, right? I, I'm I'm not you know I, I, uh, to say I know what's going to happen in the future. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen in the future. 
um, if I'm going to bet, you know, we have upward and downward pressure on, on the prices. Assuming interest rates kind of stay where they are or even decline a little bit, we expect prices to start going up again. That would be the, the, the major influx. Now, you know, if interest rates, maybe this inflation thing is, is, is worse than, than everybody thinks, right? And, and maybe the Fed's going to have to increase interest rates even higher, which will curtail, uh, buying. And that, that'll be some downward pressure. But, you know, if you put it all in a blender, you know, we don't really expect a whole lot of change, right? Um, you know, and, and, and I will say, depending on what you're trying to do, uh, it doesn't necessarily matter, right? I mean, I flip houses, I buy and make money on the buy, I sell. It's a hot market, so I know I can sell. Uh, and if I buy right, I'm going to make money when I sell it, right? And, and, and the, you know, buy and sell in a relatively short amount of time, so the market doesn't change dramatically in a relatively short amount of time. So it doesn't matter that much, right? Now, if you're doing buy and hold, I would argue it also doesn't matter that much because I'm buying and holding for 20 years, right? I'm not buying and holding for one year. If you were in Austin and you bought one year ago and you sold today, you'd have a little bit of a problem, right? But if you bought three years ago or longer, you'd be sitting really pretty. Did you have a question? Yeah, question. How's the rent? You know, I don't have that data, um, but something interesting, we do commercial. Um, a lot of apartment buildings have come online. So there's been a lot of construction uh, and that has caused uh, the rental properties, uh, the, the, the number of units available coming online has increased, okay? Uh, and I do know that data. Um, rents are stable. They're not going up like they were for the last three years, but they're not going down, okay? So they're, I would just call them stable, right? Um, rental properties are well-occupied. There's not a lot of vacancies out there. Uh, if you can't afford a house, you're going to have to live somewhere so you're going to rent. Uh, the only reason rents are not continuing to go up even with inflation and everything else going on, is there's a lot of inventory that's been brought online, a lot of, a lot of construction. The, the rent's coming down. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything that would make them come down, right? I mean, it's supply and demand. So if people stop having babies and stop moving to Texas, rents will come down. What are the odds of that, you know? Uh, you know, and, and the building is slowing, right? You know, so I don't, I don't see huge forces, uh, you know, on, on that. You know, I mean, maybe in some cases, you know, most people that are renters are renters and buyers are buyers, right? But yeah, there's a little mix and, you know, sometimes they go from one to the other. So yeah, that could change the mix up, but not a lot, right? You know, the, the, the population of Texas is pretty understood. We know how many people are having babies, how many people are moving here. We know how many people need a place to live. And we know how many places there are available to, 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 to live in, right? So, so all of these things are pretty well known. There's no huge uh, anticipated change in any of that, right? If there was some reason why, you know, Texas, you know, nobody wants to move to Texas. Like, there is an outflux uh, in uh, California, right? And, and why? I don't know. I mean, you could have all kinds of discussions, high taxes or whatever. You're one of them. <laughs> yeah. So why did you come here? <laughs> It's too expensive in California or whatever, right? So, so yeah, I mean, but, you know, right now, nobody sees uh, Texas as not a great place to go. So pretty much people are moving here. 
So we had a lot of discussion earlier on that topic, and um, I've been buying rental properties in uh, in, in Texas for 30 years. Uh, I, got, I, I now, I'm sorry, 20 years, and I now own $30 million worth of properties. Um, I'm going to tell you the best thing that I got from buying all those properties was the long-term appreciation. You know, 20 years in, I still have never gotten any cash flow that's significant on a $30 million portfolio. And, and so anybody that thinks you get a lot of cash flow from rentals, that's, that's a lie. It's, it's a myth. And, and I'm exaggerating, but just a little bit. And I have friends that have a lot more real estate than me, and they're going to tell you the same thing. There's really not a lot of cash flow, like life-changing cash. You're not going to drive a Lamborghini because of the cash flow uh, you get from your rental properties. But you can drive a Lamborghini uh, from the wealth. Right. They, they, the, the biggest thing I got out of buying all those properties is I have properties double, 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 double. Right. And, and so I now owe less than five million total debt on a $30 million portfolio. Right. So my wealth has increased dramatically, uh, even though it doesn't generate a lot of income. And when I figured that out years ago, I realized, well, the benefit here is, is wealth, right? Appreciation. I want the, if I, if I want to be as wealthy as possible in the future, I want the highest appreciating properties. Okay. And the highest appreciating properties are not going to be duplexes. Uh, they're not going to be fourplexes. Uh, they're not going to be suburban properties. They're going to be single family inner city. That's, that's where you have the highest demand. Uh, there's no more building in the inner city because for the most part, it's all built. Uh, and that's where you get the highest appreciation, right? Um, so if your goal is to be wealthy, that's, that's what to do. They don't appreciate as well as single family, right? And, and it's like, honestly, I don't like duplexes. Okay. Or fourplexes. Um, they're a lot of work. They don't get a lot of appreciation. They do get more cash flow. Okay. You, you know, you're, you're going to get a little more cash flow, but it's still not significant. You know, would you rather make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of appreciation or, you know, a few hundred bucks in cash flow? I mean, it's like, you know, when you compare one to the other, it's, you're comparing big money to little money. Um, so I'm not a, I'm not honestly a fan. Uh, of, uh, you know, duplexes or fourplexes. And people always ask me the idea, like, well, what do you think of the idea of renting uh, a duplex or, you know, living in one half and renting out the other half? I hate that on so many levels. I don't even know where to start. I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a crappy investment. They don't appreciate as well as two single family houses. You would never want to manage a property, right? How many rental properties should you own before you hire a property manager? That would be one. Okay. <laughs> it's a minimum wage activity. Your, your goal is to go find new properties and, and make money, not save a little money doing all the work yourself. Uh, and then finally, you would never want a tenant to know who you are. Okay. You, you don't want to be friends with your tenants. Okay. And I'm, I don't want to get, you know, anybody upset here, but I mean, it's like I have friends and when my friends need help, I help my friends. Okay. And I like helping my friends, but it, I pick who my friends are. Right. If all of my tenants were my friends, right, and they all need help, I'd be in in toast, right? So I mean, it's just I can't see any benefit to that plan. So if you like that idea, go buy two single family houses, live in one, and rent out the other one. Get somebody else to to manage it for you. Yeah, I, that's me. That's that's everybody. That you know. <laughs> so like you you know. So the the question is, if you're not getting any cash flow, what's the point? You got to make money doing something. So what do I make money? I flip houses. I, I do commercial. I, I do active investing. You got to make money doing something. You're not going to make a lot of money from rental properties. So you got to, if you want to make a lot of money, you got to make a lot of money doing something, right? So I'll show you how you can make a lot of money flipping houses. That's an idea. Or you could have a job or you could do something else to make money. And, you know, I make a lot of money actively doing real estate. 
And I have rental properties that have a little positive cash flow, a little negative cash flow. I don't care, right? You know, the negative cash flow, I pay for it with the cash. The, the, the big money that I make over here covers the little money uh, deficits or, or, or surpluses over here. You know, I, I, I have, I have uh, students and clients I teach. I do a lot of th different things. And um, I would think Houston would be the best market. And I'll tell you why. It's the Wild West zoning. You can do anything here. It's, it's really, uh, and it's a big market. You got a big pond here. Um, for some reason, I don't know why, uh, my students in Dallas do just as well and maybe even slightly better, but not much better. But it doesn't quite make sense to me. Houston, to me, is the perfect real estate investor market because you got a flat town. Right. And a third of Texas drains through Houston. So it's kind of flat and, and it floods a lot. And, you know, if you live here, that's not good. But the truth is that creates a lot of turmoil, right? Because houses are flooding and people are losing houses and other people are buying houses. And then you got an oil industry that goes like this. So people are losing jobs and then getting jobs. But then the economy is very diversified. And then the zoning is crazy where you can build, you know, uh, a porn shop next to a school or whatever, right? It's like crazy. And, you know, you put all that together and it's like the wild, wild west of anything goes in a great big pond to play with lots of turmoil, right? That creates lots of buying and selling opportunities. So I think for real estate investors, Houston's a great place to be, right? So if you're thinking like, where do I invest in real estate? I, I would say, if you're here, stay here. You're, you're, you're in a great place. Oh, yeah, sure. But, you know, I will tell you, if you pay off the note, yeah, all of a sudden, if you buy rental properties for cash, you get great cash flow. But it'd be a lousy use of your cash, right? I mean, they think, but think about it. how many, how many rental properties can you afford to buy if you're paying cash for them all? It doesn't scale. You see, you know, I, I want to, I want to make a lot of money over time. And, and to, the only way you're going to scale this up is, is, is to own a lot of real estate. And the only way to own a lot of real estate is with loans, with leverage. You know, several years ago, I owned a portfolio of $10 million worth of properties. And at the time I had $5 million worth of loans. And somebody said to me, you know, you could sell half and pay off the other half. And I said, well, that would be really dumb because here's the thing. My $10 million portfolio appreciates on average 10% a year. So every year I'm getting a million dollars wealthier because I own $10 million worth of houses. If I sold half and paid off the other half, I'd only have a $5 million portfolio. I'd get a little more cash flow. But $5 million appreciating 10% a year, I'd only be getting $500,000 wealthier a year. So in the long term, it would actually hurt me, right? And what I realized for long-term wealth, I want to own as much real estate as possible, right? Mortgages are good, right? Especially on rental properties because you got other people paying off the mortgages on appreciating assets. So you want as much of that as you can get. So, um, you know, commercial, you know, have we seen what we're seeing now? Is that what you're saying? So, you know, here's what's going on in commercial. Like, which commercial, right? Are you talking multifamily? You're talking office buildings? You're talking RV? You're talking storage? What are you talking? Office buildings. Okay. We had this pandemic thing that happened, right? And, you know, office building hospitality took a huge hit. Because everybody couldn't go into the office and then they didn't all come back, right? So now we have a lot of empty office buildings and that's not what I, I would say that was a freak of nature. 
right? And there was something happened that was a one in 100 year event that changed the world, right? And, and now we're in the aftermath of that. And I don't think that has anything to do with the housing market or anything else. I don't think so. I don't know. But I don't, I don't know how the, 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 the crash in the, uh, commercial office space has any effect on housing. I don't, I don't see a correlation. I, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe somebody else sees something there. I don't, I don't see it. Um, they're repurposing, uh, some office buildings because I don't know if we're ever going to go back, right? We're kind of drifting back, but I don't think we're ever going to go back to where we were, uh, pre-pandemic where everybody just worked in an office and that, that, that world is a, is a, is gone, right? And, and we're in a hybrid world now, right? And, and I don't, I don't see, us ever going back. So they're actually repurposing a lot of that office space into apartment buildings and other things, trying to find a different use for it. Because I don't know how long it's going to take to kind of get that inventory uh, work through the system. Hospitality came back. Nobody stayed in a hotel. And then they now they're all back, right? Revenge travel and all that sort of thing. Uh, But there's something else about commercial um, versus residential. Commercial loans and residential loans are like typically 30-year mortgages. Commercial loans are typically like five-year. I mean, you get longer ones, but they tend to be short loans, okay? So commercial syndication, somebody buys a property, they, they get a loan, they raise some money, they buy a property, they do whatever, improve it, and then they sell it again and, and get a profit. These deals, all almost all commercial deals, they turn over like every three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. They, there's a lot of turnover. And which means that they're constantly refinancing. Okay. And the problem with a lot of the commercial properties is, is not demand or anything like that. It's the refinancing. Because if you have an apartment building and you bought it with a 4% mortgage and now you're refinancing it into a 8% mortgage, you might not have enough rent to pay the mortgage at the new mortgage rate. And, and, and so that's what's unique and different and, and hurting commercial. Well, thank you guys. That was a little market update. We're not done. We're going to lot to go. Texas's largest real estate investor association at TexasStarterKit.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, comment, share with other investors, or join us directly at TexasStarterKit.com.